When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there guys and welcome back to The View from the Bridge, a Football.London Chelsea podcast. We have got an extra episode now moving forward. Uh, glad to say I'm Daniel Charles and I'm going to be hosting the extra episode of The View from the Bridge podcast moving forward along with your regularly scheduled one. Uh, so hopefully you enjoy the content over the summer heading into what hopefully is going to be a better season for Chelsea. But unfortunately we do have to do a bit of a post-mortem on this edition. How did Todd Bowley break Chelsea? Yes, it is a little bit of a hyperbolic title, but we wanted to kind of uh, spice things up and ask that question along with many others in today's show as we reflect back on what has been an historically bad season for Chelsea, not only in the Premier League. And to join me today is a regular host, co-host of the View from the Bridge Chelsea podcast, and that is London Chelsea writer Scott Trotter. Scott, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, Daniel. Um, relieved that season's over for a little bit. Yes. And uh, yeah, ready ready to move on, I think. I think many of us are. And hopefully this will this will be used as a bit of therapy for us all to kind of reflect on where things have gone wrong and hopefully learn some key lessons heading into what is a, a big summer for Chelsea and for the new head coach, Mauricio Pochettino. I want to start at the end. I know in yesterday's podcast, we did kind of a sort of a, a clearer look at the Newcastle game and, and more in depth so definitely if people want to go and check that out please go and do so it's more looking at the end of the game with the goodbyes uh, from Frank from to Sir Frank Lampard to Cesar Azpilicueta who got a lovely banner before the game um, and to Ruben Loftus-Cheek who kind of made the goodbye clear with the way he was waving to the crowd as he was substituted in the second half and also after the game in front of the Harding Lower. It, it was a sombre mood and it wasn't as toxic as I think some of us feared it could be. It seemed like the majority of fans inside Stamford Bridge actually stuck around to applaud the players. Whether they deserved it or not is another question. But just your reflections and also, I guess, looking back to 12 months ago when Chelsea's final game against Watford, Todd Bowley was on the pitch that day and we were awaiting the official confirmation of the takeover. How quickly things have changed. Yeah, I think probably both occasions had a sense of relief about them, uh, mm. probably for very, very different reasons. Last year, you know, everybody was just desperate for the, the takeover to come through. At that time, hoping that it was going to be the right owners moving forward. And, you know, it was just nice to maybe slightly exaggerate, but have a football club to, to, to keep on following, supporting, and to see everything and, you know, people keeping jobs and, a whole plethora of things. Um, whereas this year, it was very much a relief to maybe forget about the season completely. Um, there was a big contrast between the Chelsea supporters and the Newcastle fans who were having a big party on the day. I think obviously their Champions League qualifications had a, we've had a smoother start to life under new owners, mm. um, let's say. And yeah, I think for Chelsea, it was uh, a performance that, you know, didn't have too much 
to hear about it. They, they were able to come back from behind, which hasn't always been the case this season. Um, and I think I was slightly surprised by just how many Chelsea fans did, did stay behind to show their appreciation. Um, but more than anything, I, I guess it showed the uncertainty that's still to come moving forward. Obviously, you mentioned Loftus-Cheek and, and Aspilicueta as one of those whose future is a bit uncertain. Perhaps it looked a bit more of a goodbye that, than we expected um, after that game. But uh, Lampard said in the press conference they don't know what is happening with, with his future. But you know, I think the big talking point going in, into the match, certainly on social media, was, was Mason Mount. Had, had he, was he going to be involved? Had he already played his last game? And I think as he kind of moved across the pitch, there was certainly something in him that made it look like there's the possibility it could have been. There was no final farewell. There wasn't any big waves like Loftus-Cheek, but it looked a poignant moment for him. I think just before he went in the tunnel, we were, you know, as everybody was, looking on from the press box, searching for tears and all those kind Mm. of things. But he did seem to put his hands through his head. Um, I don't know whether there was maybe some frustration there about how things had panned out so far, and maybe it wasn't how he expected things to be um and i think that's where a lot of chelsea lie at the minute you could you know rattle off a lot of players who, who we don't know the futures there's kvacic there's obviously Xiao felix is now resolved but perhaps we didn't know what was going to happen there at the weekend and you know at that point pochettino still hadn't been announced we knew it was lampard's last game it it's a it was just i guess a moment where much like we were last season, a new era is set to begin, but mm. we just don't know what that's going to be yet. I think in a more drastic way, I remember the conversations as well, writing about it on football.london at the time. Last summer felt like a rebuild was needed and yes. now a rebuild is needed again, which kind of shows you how bad this season has been and how chaotic Chelsea have been in recent years of, of kind of needing this massive reset and, and probably much more so than the, the new ownership would have wanted to do. I think they would have wanted to look at last summer as that, but it seems like it's going to have to be this summer. You speak about Mason Mount there. I mean, this was a guy who was lifting a second consecutive player of the season as voted for, for by supporters last year. Um, Thiago Silva was very close last year as well, and he, he's got it this time, uh, quite obvious. You know, he is someone that I think it's just staggering given how important he was in a Champions League win, how big of a player he felt for the future of Chelsea, kind of a face of Chelsea. And to think that he could be leaving on on kind of this downbeat note is, is, is one of many things that supporters are frustrated about with the new ownership and the way they've mishandled certain situations. Yeah, definitely. I think looking back at especially that Champions League run, that Premier League season, it felt when Chelsea weren't good, Mason Mount was still very good. And, and you know, this season, things haven't worked out for Mount on the pitch. Um, he, he didn't produce the form, I guess, we've come to expect. Uh, I think we had some goals against Aston Villa. And we hope that was a launch pad. It didn't quite work out. He then went to the World Cup and there's been injuries. And I think even not including this whole contract situation, things have not turned out how he would have expected this season. Uh we're now, you know, hearing things about how that contract situation's been handled. That was meant to be one of the early priorities of the new ownership alongside tying Reese James down. And it's not worked out in, in quite the same way for Mount. Um, there's obviously a lot out there about how he perhaps wanted a better salary, having been undervalued in his previous contract. But, you know, we've now had hints that he perhaps was 
offered something before the World Cup and then that's went back mm. and they've had to start again a little bit and I think there's just a, a great deal of frustration there it's I think you you pitched a, a title for the podcast earlier this season that was chaos and trophies and it's felt this season's been mainly chaos and I think the mount situation mm. has, has felt a little bit like that yeah absolutely and uh, Bobby Vincent I know wrote a piece on London about the mount situation and kind of the behind the scenes stuff uh, definitely people should go and read for for more context and just kind of reflects how up and down these contract negotiations are. I think there are a lot of parallels to the Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger situation last year. Of course, both of those ended up leaving. Could the same happen with Mount? We do now want to go back to last summer. Of course, the takeover happened, I mean, almost a year ago. I believe it. I believe we were on a Facebook Live discussing the announcement early June, the first week of June 2022. And then we headed into the summer, the takeover. We had the signings of Raheem Sterling in front of the, the palm trees in LA. We had uh, the start of preseason, Kaladu Kulabali signed in Las Vegas. Things felt a lot more positive and hopeful, but I guess the signs of discontent under Thomas Tuchel when the new ownership were already starting to show, weren't they, in the US tour? Yeah, certainly. And I think that period... Even, even more so than the, the relationship between Tuchel and, and the owners, there was obviously discontent with how it was planned, the facilities, the, the traveling, the length of it, that there's been a lot of said about the preparation from that. And I think now both Graham Potter and Frank Lampard have noted that as, you know, one of a litany of reasons why things perhaps haven't worked out as expected. But yeah, um, there was obviously a degree of expectation from Tuchel to be more involved, more collaborative within the transfer approach. There was the suggestion that he would prefer to coach the team and, and get the best out of the team, at, I guess, as we saw ahead of that moment. Um, and, yeah, I think from there, it, it just, things turned difficult. We, you, you noted a couple of signs that I think from the outside, we, we saw a lot of, Good signings. I don't think many people would complain at the addition of Raheem Sterling, but that sort of relationship between club and and head coach, I guess you start to see the confusion highlighted when Raheem Sterling is kind of given the keys to Chelsea's attack, promised that leading role, and then you know a difficult start the Premier League season. All of a sudden, we turn around and after being mentioned very early in the window that a striker was maybe needed, but Tuchel was maybe happy with what he had. We had the turnaround and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed on deadline day. And, you know, that was very obviously, uh, I guess, a compromise of sorts because of that connection with Tuchel. Aubameyang, obviously, a, a very big history in terms of scoring goals. And, sorry to, I guess, skip ahead a little bit, but it, it's hard to then fathom in many ways that barely a week later Tuchel has lost has lost mm. his job and while you can maybe understand the reasons that maybe the new owners wanted somebody who would fit in with their system they wanted that collaborative approach where they could discuss everything it it becomes hard to justify signing somebody like Aubameyang um when you then they, I mean it obviously must have been on the mind that Tuchel wasn't wasn't their mm. man and yeah I guess that kind of typified the whole the whole summer and um, was the sign that, you know, this speeded up transition period that, that was hoped for. Um, obviously, they, they started off on the back foot by not having Christensen and Rudiger and players like that. And I think you give a degree of sympathy there. But 
it started to become, as we kind of noted earlier, a bit more chaotic with with Bowley leading things in the transfer mm-hmm. window without the helps of the likes of Petr Cech, who I don't believe wanted to stay on, or Marina Granovskaya, who I think when when they she left, it was said that she would aid in the transition, but it did feel that this was, you know, the Todd Bowley and Beda Gobali show in terms of driving through the, the next set of transfers. I do think the downfall of Tuchel is not one the ownership. Um, I think there have maybe been a bit of revisionism since because of how bad the rest of the season looks from a Chelsea point of view, that things weren't that great of Tuchel on performance basis. If we look back to the start of 2022, when of course the previous ownership was still in charge. Um, I want to talk about one specific game and I know to many people it won't feel that significant because it was a pre-season game but to me seeing it live in person in Orlando it did mirror what was about to come for both clubs actually on that night and that was Arsenal smashing Chelsea 4-0 and it was quite a concerning performance from a Chelsea point of view because of the fitness as we've already touched on in terms of the lack of cohesion between players. Certain players like Michi Batshuayi still having a part, Timo Werner, Marcus Alonso, these would all be players that would be gone in a matter of weeks at Chelsea and, and sold. That to me, and that, that also was the night that preceded that post-match interview from Tuchel, where he said, you know, if you have the same players, you've got the same problems effectively. That to me was such a a key night and just reflected and kind of as I say foreshadowed what was to come because that collapse that night was very reminiscent of what we've seen basically for the rest of this season haven't we yeah and I think when you think about how I guess frustrating and and the the chaos that has been recently to know that it was present you know weeks into pre-season is a scary thought in itself you like you shouldn't be that frustrated it should all be positive at that at that time um and I think, you know, that that squad that went out on the US tour, I think would have been a frustration for everyone. Um, seeing, I guess, players that you noted there, but likes of Ross Barkley and Marcus Alonso, who, you know, went at the end of the window for, for, for nothing. Um, it was a, certainly a sign that things weren't right. The, you know, transition of the squad wasn't occurring smoothly. And I guess that becomes the worry this season with the, the bloated squad that they, they have remaining now um but yeah that that game was a bit of a body blow thomas tuchel's frustrations came to the fore very evidently i think that and that that was the sign because it wasn't far away from the premier league season starting either mm. um it was obviously quite a, a shortened pre-season in terms of how late last year finished and obviously the early start of the premier league season with the world cup forthcoming and you know i think the only positive maybe from that game was that Kula Bali's first uh, kind of performance. He came on as a substitute and he actually looked pretty good that night, despite the scoreline, I think. Um, mm. But yeah, it's when, when you look at that squad and I think sort of players have to, you know, go down and then move to play with the development squad for opportunities. I think obviously Broyer and Colin maybe got injured as well, but Gilmore and, and players like that, but there were still so many people who would go on to leave, who needed to leave. You know how much of the preparation was, was true preparation for the Premier League season, and you know it, as it turns out that the team weren't prepared for the season. You look at those early games. I think Everton, uh, Chelsea obviously got that win, but 
Raheem Sterling was perhaps the only player to come out with much merit in that that yeah. occasion. That the game against Leeds was a really, you know, harrowing result. Um, and look where Leeds ended up at the end of the season as well, I guess. But Southampton too lost to Southampton, another yeah. relegated team. It's and uh, mentioning that Southampton game, it was a really telling point where again Tuchel kind of was quite open in the in the press conference. He was very frustrated with the you know, inability of his team to, I guess, do the basics in defence, really compete. Um, and that became a little bit of a tenet in recent weeks of, of Frank Lampard. Obviously, a lot has been said about the fitness and maybe a lot of that has been pushed on to Graham Potter's time at the club, why they, they weren't up there. But that ability to compete and sustain, uh, I think Lampard would say, the capacity to, to, to you know, really feel contact with the opposition players was there early early on and you know perhaps that that is a mental aspect inside the squad that needed to be resolved as well but I think as you noted that Tuchel's time looks better because of where Chelsea ended up sorry this this season obviously you know Tuchel did have a degree of success with Chelsea before this season but there there was a toxicity that was emerging even back then Um, certainly after that Southampton game and, you know, maybe nobody expected Tuchel to, to lose his job immediately after that, that game in, in Croatia. But he he looked lost for answers that night as well. Um, obviously, another awful defeat. I think he was just so frustrated with the team that he almost didn't know what to say to them anymore. He didn't yeah. understand why they were playing like they were. And, you know, when you don't understand that, that is a really dangerous position as well. Mm. Yeah, I do think it is convenient to look at that situation now and say, you know, Chelsea was stupid to sack Tuchel. They may have been stupid to sack Tuchel, but it also is kind of not looking at the full picture to say everything was rosy. And it was, you know, I I don't think it was um, as shocking as, say, the Jose Mourinho sacking in 2007, for instance, you know, that people referred to. You know, we were talking about a team that looked lost for ideas in the opening weeks of the season. And even the wins against the likes of Everton, against the likes of Leicester, West Ham, we're either coming from a goal down or with just very unconvincing performances. So it, it just set things in, in a negative sort of uh, motion as the season begun. Obviously, you know, we don't have all the time in the world to kind of break down everything from Graham Potter. I, I think that the core I want to get to of Graham Potter is him coming into an environment where it felt like because there was so much apathy about how the season had begun upset with Tuchel being sacked a coach who was very popular amongst supporters was he set up to fail from the beginning in the sense that he was he was fighting a losing battle that say Tuchel didn't have to contend with when he arrived at Chelsea because there were no fans inside stadiums to show that apathy or frustration yeah I think it's a really good point because you think back to Potter's start and it's easily forgotten that they went on did he did he match the record for unbeaten run as a Chelsea manager? I think to start. I believe the game, it was like nine games, games, if I remember nine. rightly. Yeah, I think it was nine. And perhaps there wasn't the you know joyous abundance of enthusiasm because you know they weren't racking up wins at that point. I think he you know, started against Salzburg, obviously, and they got the win against Crystal Palace. And he tried some, I guess, obscure things with Raheem Sterling at wing back and those kind of things. Um, but you know that. It's hard to look past the Brighton game where, where they got beat. Obviously, a uh, bit of a uh, crazy atmosphere from Brighton really getting on, on the back of uh, Potter. 
but the manner of that defeat felt very easy. Um, that was perhaps reminiscent of some of those early performances and things never really recovered from there. And, you know, that idea of not being Thomas Tuchel, I think was really difficult for Potter to kind of lift off himself. He wasn't the same character in press conferences. He wouldn't produce the easy soundbite for everybody to get behind. Um, so that process of, you know, really warming to a manager, I think was going to take a long time. And then when the results fell away and faltered and, you know, Chelsea really started to struggle, he didn't really have any credit in the bank. I think at one point it felt like those AC Milan wins could really be the start of something. Mm -hmm. They felt really accomplished. And I guess Potter's record in Europe was actually pretty good. Um, And that would have been the area where people maybe had the biggest questions because it's not something he'd done with a top side before. Um, But Chelsea had all those injuries at that time as well. So we were seeing, you know, I I almost lose count of how many right wing backs we saw. Pulisic, Loftus-Cheek, and Gallagher played there against Newcastle in November. Nothing really just settled nicely. He never really got that opportunity to, you know, look like he was in control. I think he was always chasing, chasing a win, chasing the system. And then before you know it, Chelsea are signing hundreds of millions of pounds worth of players in January and he has a whole new group to win over. And I think there is that sense of people asking the question, did Potter ever really win over Chelsea's group? Um, perhaps not when you look at the the Sterling quotes that came out following the weekend. And, he, and it's just, it is difficult. I think what maybe is a bit more interesting to look upon is you ask the question, do you think Potter would have done or have been produced more some convincing performances than what Frank Lampard did at the end of the season? I think the answer is, Possibly he would have. Um, mm. Not to say he necessarily should have kept the job because much like Tuchel's game in Croatia, the the game against Aston Villa, the stadium really did turn in a big way. Um, certainly maybe directed towards the owners at that point even rather than the team. But yeah, he, he just couldn't find momentum. And, and even when things were positive, the momentum never lasted long enough. Mm. I remember when Potter was appointed you know, maybe people internally at Chelsea, but also externally were sort of saying this is kind of a big experiment, you know, taking someone from one level of expectation to a radically different one. And has is that one of the key things that the owners have learnt this season, particularly with the Pochettino appointment, is as maybe holistic or kind of um, nice the idea of taking someone from one level who's done who did very good work i think it's it's easily forgotten now because of how well deserbi has done there how good the work was how good potter's work was at brighton for a few years but actually when you're at this big club when you're at a stage of transition which chelsea have been for for a lot of years now you need a, a bigger force of character what you actually say in public matters and it's and it he just did not have that force of character to win over supporters or even the players and that maybe is a, is a sad indictment of the culture around like elite football, but that's just the harsh reality. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, th- this kind of season has perhaps shown that Chelsea squad has not had the resilience um, that many would hope for. They- they've needed a character to galvanise them, perhaps. And I guess that was the idea about bringing Lampard in to inspire something of the old Chelsea and the standards that ha- have been there. And, you know, 
sorry to touch on Lampard when we're talking about Potter, but he has mentioned it's a quiet dressing room. Um, obviously, dressing rooms aren't set in stone. They haven't got to be slanging matches after every defeat, but you need people in a squad to, to really take control. And, you know, the leadership thing has been an issue for Chelsea and something that has been talked about coming into this season. Obviously, Kante, Jorginho, Thiago Silva heading out of contract. Aspilicueta was expected to leave for a long time. They are the senior members of the squad. There are a lot of members of the squad who have the armband. Kovacic, another one who could leave this summer, who was expected to have the armband. And there were a lot of conversations, certainly between us and our colleagues, about who are going to take Chelsea into the next era, who is going to be that John Terry figure. Maybe that doesn't exist in the same way, but Mason Mount, I guess, was one pitched as a leader, Reese James. But they're not necessarily the, the loud, vocal figures you, you have, maybe a lead-by-example kind of guys. And that has been something that that has been missing. I think it's probably why the likes of Declan Rice has been on that transfer shortlist for such a long time, that they need to find those characters. Um, and, you know, when we're looking back at the season, perhaps that vacuum of leadership uh, has played a role. People, you know, ensuring that everybody is meeting the standards at all times and training. And, you know, I guess with that group becoming so big under Potter, you know, from a coaching perspective, that becomes difficult. You have two matches rather than just one. You have to, you know, hope that everybody is pulling their weight in each individual thing, which they should be as professionals. But when players like Pierre and Aubameyang clearly haven't got a future at Chelsea from, you know, Christmas time, they they they'll never be there any longer. Not included in Champions League squads. It, it's going to be hard to motivate yourself to the same extent. And mm-hmm. does that feed into other players? Hakim Ziyech, obviously, expected to leave on transfer deadline day. He was straight back into the team, and I, I guess, to some extent, maybe that was a, an attempt from Potter to try and ensure that his motivation was still there. He could still feel involved at Chelsea. But when you have this issue of a transition, a lot of players, certainly now that they, they added so many in January, that have to leave, how do you get buy-in from everybody? How... Do you kind of inspire the standards? And then I guess that has probably been a difficulty for Potter, certainly for Lampard towards the end of the season. And I think, as you said, maybe Chelsea have learned a little bit when when you mentioned about kind of experimenting. Pochettino obviously has worked with this level of club before. He's also managed the likes of Southampton and and drove those up the league, which is the position Chelsea are in at the moment. But also when you look at the the contract Pochettino has been offered, two years with the club having the option for a third. They're not committing in the same way. Obviously, Potter, everything was geared towards, you are going to be our long-term guy. We don't have expectation of Champions League football, despite at that stage of the season, Chelsea being in a position where they could contend for it. Um, Maybe things have relaxed a little. The hierarchy across the club is now in place. It obviously wasn't at the start of the season. And despite this, you know, season, maybe even feeling more of a rebuild yeah, than what last summer did, um, maybe they're in a better position to try and launch that rebuild now. I think we want to end by focusing on the ownership. And because, you know, we can talk about the the managers and the coaches and the players and, and the staff involved. Obviously, they, they play a massive part in, in the success or failure of Chelsea. But... From top down, um, it has felt like a chaotic period for the club. And 
there's no point getting around it. I mean, particularly Todd Bowley's name. If you search him in Google right now, if you listen to some of the podcasts around him, if you read some of the articles around him and, and the ownership, it, it's not good. The perception is one of someone who has come into football and to put it frankly, and it sounds disrespectful, but doesn't know what they're doing. And that is the perception of a lot of supporters I speak to who are concerned about what the next few years are going to hold after this one. And, you know, we go back to the summer where he was interim sporting director. This was someone who had never worked in professional football before. You know, as we've just discussed, it, it took a long time for those sporting directors to be appointed. Around October, November time is when the first few names, I think Vival and Lawrence Stewart um, came out. And then, of course, you know, the sacking of Graham Potter after committing so much to him felt like a, a step back or an admission of failure. And, and of course, the, the massive January spend. What do you think is, is the biggest mistake or kind of lesson that this ownership group? And I don't just want I, we use the, the name of Bowley because he's he, at times he has put himself front and center. But I guess it, it's bigger than that. It's clearly capital, you know. Is there one thing you kind of pin down and say, yeah, they've got this drastically wrong and they need to learn with a bit of humility this summer to get it right? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of difficult to to see how this can be put in place swiftly. But I think if you look at Chelsea in its entirety, um, obviously the men's senior team have had a woeful time. But if you look at the women's side, they've continued their success under Emma's Hayes. Um, the development squad, they, they actually had quite a lot of uh, investment also from, from the ownership early on, added some new players, new coach in Mark Robinson. But with the consistency of Jim Fraser and Neil Bath, they had a much better season, rebound from nearly being relegated the year before to challenging for a title. And if you look in those two areas, and that stability, um, I think, has obviously been the launch pad for how they've been able to you know, improve and develop and they obviously signed uh, the women's side signed a lot of players early on in, in the new ownerships kind of tenure, but they were all done very early in the transfer window. And you know, it seemed organized, it seemed stable. And if you compare that to the men's side, there's been no stability in coaching and playing staff in the sporting structure above it, which obviously stretches across more of the club. But everything is obviously tied to the men's team in terms of public perception. So when you're looking at new sponsors that there's nothing happened on that front yet either it's felt very chaotic and you know things need to settle down i think the chaos was added to when you know Bully became sporting director in the sense everything played out very publicly as well um there were a few deals that didn't get leaked in some regard and you know chelsea missed out on a lot as well if you look at the likes of jules kunde and those meetings in barcelona rafinha of course as well um it was uh, a brash summer I think we we saw and heard a lot and while from the outside a lot of the signings that were made did look good in the end perhaps they came too late perhaps they weren't the right people at the right time and I think when we get to that point where Bowley and B uh, Bali can take a real step back perhaps become involved when they really need to drive a deal over the line such as when they made that decision to go for Enzo Fernandez in January maybe that will be better but the, the, I think the key point is you need to put the club in the position to be stable so this transition does need to happen you need to get rid of the players you need to set up the deals that can last for you know the next I don't know four or five years however long these commercial deals last and once there's sport and structures in place you need to trust them things might not work out all the time 
but the club club needs to grow and develop under this new identity and while it has had success in chaos and the turnover of managers i think that was probably a unique situation under roman abramovich few teams can can operate like that and continue success and you know realistically chelsea had got further away from from being a premier league title contender and finding a stable base to grow from i think is going to be the key thing to mm. you know trying to catch those teams again yeah it feels like across the club um you know as you i think you're right to mention and we'll probably focus on this in the podcast particularly the women's side who have they have been unaffected this season i know it's been a challenging year in in the sense of emma hayes not being able to field a consistent starting 11 but They've won a fourth consecutive WSL title. They have won another FA Cup. They have competed more seriously in the Champions League, made developments, even though they did get knocked out to Barcelona. You know, it felt like on that side, and they're already, they've already set up signings, even though they're losing Peniel Harder and Magda Eriksson, you know, two key figures within that team. You don't feel, as with the evidence of recent years, that is going to completely destabilise the whole squad because you've got a consistent power at the, at the top of that in Emma Hayes, and there's a real strategy. And... You know, I think that is something competence and kind of, you know, that that is something that has just been so lacking from Chelsea, it feels like, in so many areas. Just one final thing, and I, maybe this is unrealistic, but it's something that I've spoken about with supporters um, who have been frustrated. And, you know, I personally have been as well. And, and just a little bit miffed, to be honest, is is communication. Because we've seen Todd Bowley as early as, say, September. I remember that we completely rushed over the all-star suggestion, which caused a lot of controversy <laughs> back then. Um, and got his name and got a lot of criticism in the media at the time. We've seen him speak at other private events. There was another conference he spoke about recently. And I know as the season has gone on, supporters on social media have, uh, now I've spoken to have, have, have been frustrated with the fact that it seems like the new ownership, particularly Bowley, will speak to media. They'll speak at private events about Chelsea. They'll even speak to Gary Cottrell when he's chasing him down with a microphone near a car. But there hasn't been an official communication from the ownership to the supporters through say the club website or the you know twitter wherever it is do you think that is something that should be a requirement or it is maybe a misstep again that has lost faith and trust from supporters and, and it feels like they're being talked over rather than directly to in this difficult time yeah i think it's probably a missed opportunity as well because certainly when they were setting their stall out i think there's a lot of positive things to get behind. Obviously, they, they have done things like set up the fans forum and try to engage on that level um, on an enhanced basis. But as you said, they, they have kept their distance. And it's not just Bowley who spoke at these conferences. It is Egg Barley and it is Jose Feliciano, who's obviously another clear, uh, clear capital guy. Um, and they have talked about the Premier League and Chelsea and, and what they hope to get out of it. At business conferences, like you say, it feels very industry focused um and i know certainly from speaking to our former colleague adam adam newson early in the season his knowledge of them at that time um he felt it'd be really good for them to speak publicly um that they came across really well uh, and that was the perception of them and you know i think chelsea haven't had almost a a face to not vent to but to connect with um that has always been on the manager the press conferences and they get asked questions that they don't really have the capability to answer certainly lampard at the end of the season in his um caretaker role it really limits what you can you know find out about the the direction of the club and 
I think what is particularly frustrating for me is when, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you see every signing, you see every big decision, um, obviously Pochettino and the new CEO on, on Tuesday as well. You'll have comments from Bowley and then you'll have separate comments from Egbali and Feliciano and from the players as well. You hear all these lovely things about the project, how excited everybody is, but there's not really been that pitch to support as yet. It, it's been reliant on them finding these snippets. And I think, like you say, a sit-down interview, maybe they're worried about it being a bigger misstep in itself. They, they've seen the criticism they've got, and maybe they worry about how that can be taken, held against them, or you know, stripped down and posted on Twitter to make them look silly. Um, yeah. But I think it would go a long way. These guys are supposedly here for the long term. Uh, there, there should be a relationship to an extent between owners and supporters, even if it's you know an, an end of season little interview to say, sorry, this hasn't worked out, or we believe this has worked out, we're sorry about the results, but we see this is how things are going to go forward. And maybe it gives supporters something to buy into. Um, Chelsea obviously previously had an owner who was distant, didn't need to engage in that front. I guess he spoke with the, his checkbook in many respects and the trophies early on. But at the same time, that becomes an area where these owners can quickly be an improvement. It can be an easy win. And, you know, when they, they have the likes of Daniel Finkelstein and uh, coming on the board, obviously as supporters, that that is a positive thing. But you want the owner as much to be a savvy businessman who can guide your team in the right direction. You want them to to be a supporter to an extent as well. You want mm. to feel like they maybe are not one of the fans singing in the stands, you know, having a drink. But you want to feel like they are one of you, even uh, you know, from the US and you know, have a baseball team or what have you. That I think there is an opportunity there that they can take. Maybe it's more difficult a year on given how the seasons went. But I think people would, at least a core of people would be receptive to it, even if a lot of people would try to, you know, push push Bowley down. Yeah, I mean, I understand that fear. I just, you do wonder after how badly things have gone this season. Um, and, and given how open they have been in other forums, it just, I think to some, it feels a little bit inconsistent and I can understand that critique. But uh there we go. We, we happily uh, and in a relief sense are able to close the book on the 2022-23 season from a Chelsea point of view. Just before we wrap up, Scott, um, what have we got coming up on London for, for Chelsea fans to read um, as we head into what is going to be still a very busy period, particularly as we head towards June the 30th? Yeah, I guess unsurprisingly, transfer season will be starting. Um, we'll be sowing the seeds to see what Pochettino has to do, what his requirements perhaps are. Um, there are obviously certain positions that the club have acknowledged for a while they need to strengthen in goal midfield up front so there'll be there'll be lots on that in the next few weeks obviously i guess the next big point to watch out for certainly in relation to angola conte's contract is the the retained and released lists that should come in the next week or so and yeah it's uh, certainly a very interesting time for chelsea and you know who knows what things could look like in just two weeks time when when that transfer window begins to open 
Absolutely, and I'm sure we will be covering it not only on View from the Bridge, but also on Football.London, where you can see all the latest Chelsea news. Please do go and check it out. Thank you for listening, and I'm sure we will see you again very soon, because as we know of Chelsea, it's always chaos, and hopefully some more trophies next season. All the best. <laughs>